Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Yo, my name's Mitch Orr, and I do not approve this episode. It's the Mitch and Podcast. Hey, what's up, and welcome to the Mitch and a podcast about food in Sydney. My name is Andrew Levins. Mitch Orr is uh, hard, working extremely hard at Acme, like he does every night of the week. Uh, so today, I have uh, I've gone I've gone far and wide, and I've found someone that we've not heard from on the Mitch and he used to be on every week. We used to be on every week, but uh, he's been working hard too at Acme. No, somewhere else. His name is Mike Eggett. Welcome back to the Mitchin, Mike Eggett. Nah, hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for those who aren't familiar with, uh, with Mike, he uh, used to run an incredible restaurant and, uh, and cafe called Pinbone um, in Paddington. And uh, since closing last year, um, he, uh, he and Gemma uh, Whiteman, who's been on the podcast in the, in the past as well, uh, took over Tim Williams Street, also in Paddington, and uh, have kind of tried their hand at, at at Italian food for about six months. Yeah, it was too boring. We had to. You had to. Yeah, yeah, you got you got you got your visas for cooking Italian food expired, so that you it. had to get booted. Three three products in, and we were like, "This is fucked." Let's get something <laughs> else happening. So the most popular episode, one of the most popular episodes of the Mitchin, is uh, a, an episode in which Mike Eggett took me out foraging. It's called Levens Eats Weeds, and uh, Mike and Gemma from Pinbone took me out to Centennial Park, found a bunch of weeds, and uh, made me eat them. Very, very funny, very great episode. We thought we would recreate that ma- that magic. So, Mike, where have you taken me today to f- go foraging? <laughs> uh, this is, this is, this is, I've never seen such wild uh, terrain such as this. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very, uh, it's very. Oh, I can't even. You can't. No, 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 I can't even. Improv, uh, improvs out, improv. out of practice. <laughs> oh, we're surrounded by a musky, <laughs> musky smell. I feel like in the bush, something like a bigfoot's about to approach us. We are it's- in the offices of none other than Mike Benny, <laughs> the uh, Lord of Wine in Sydney. Sydney's Lord of like twice, twice voted Lord of Wine. You don't want to forage too far in this place either, <laughs> just quietly. <laughs> and it looks like there's, there's, there's some incredible things that we can pick and taste. And, uh, and Mike Benny, welcome back to the Mitchin. Thank you for having me. Now, we're in here today because Mike Benny, in, is, uh, I've asked him to, and he's very graciously said yes, uh, host a episode about wine in Sydney, wine and booze and uh, everything else in his incredible mind. Uh, maybe Mike can come along each month too, but a monthly episode about wine, maybe with both Mike's. That sounds fun. Mike, Mi- Mike and Mike. Are Mike these Mike. mics on? <laughs> hey! <laughs> they sure are. Um, so, Mike, uh, if, if you haven't heard an episode with Mike Benny on in the past, he's done a couple, but 
Mike is a just a just a, a genius when it comes to wine in Sydney. Uh, he's been involved in uh, quite a few wine events in the last year, namely Rootstock and Mental Notes. What do you do day to day? I've actually got no idea. I was like, <laughs> "Fuck!" I have to describe what you do. I, um, well, yeah. Look, um, that's why you use words for ex- like expert and genius. It's like this yeah. great, really, really complimentary way of admitting that he's you have no idea. What he's a predominant does. wine writer in Sydney. He's a predominant wine reviewer for all of Australian you wrote wines that fantastic and fantastic natural wine article in Time Out recently, didn't you? <laughs> I at least contributed some vocal thoughts on. Mike is what looked like natural wine in the article at some point. Mike's also a judge for many wine shows and wine programs, and not just wine too. We're underselling him here because he knows his way around a beer or two and spirits. He's very astute with the sake, which a lot of sommeliers don't have in their arm- armory. He, Even he though Mike will tell you he's not a real som, but he is quite quite a practiced uh, sommelier. Maybe not. At school, but definitely through drinking. He may have served you a glass of wine at the uh, recent Truffle Kerfuffle, <laughs> a fantastic event in where? In Manjum up in WA. Yeah. It was it was a kerfuffle. <laughs> I mean, you know, it couldn't have been more aptly named. That's my favourite named event of all time, I think. Yeah. You also, Mike also assists on people's wine lists. He does countless hours of just helping people for not not-for-profit. I guess it's almost charity work, helping out the industry. Promoter of all things good um, and... Fuck, this is the longest intro. And it's good. That's why we, that's you do fucking that. everything, though. Like people just think you're just an alcoholic dancing with no pants on. But <laughs> really, and he also is a I wine. I was wondering maker. when you were going to get to that. He's also a wine producer. He has the Brian wine, and of he course, has the um, for the dandy and the Clo down in Marrickville, the little Marrickville wine with my mate Brendan Hilferty. Yeah, so he's got his finger in every bottle. Yeah, Brian Brian wines in particular is uh, an extremely great invention in Australia because it's kind of wine almost marketed as a beer. You know, you, 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 you serve it in little half bottles that are almost akin to a, to a long neck. Yeah, and, and crown sealed for your pleasure as well. I mean, they fit into stubby coolers was the idea. Uh, and then we, we doubled down with cans because we figured that, you know, tall boy cans, 946 mil would be... You've done tall boy cans. I can't say that. No one gets them. They get angry. I know. Well, they've, they've been sort of been, you know, if you want to call it promotional. Mike just pointed in the corner of his house where, yeah. where there's like a weird oil painting. Yeah, that, underneath no... the oil painting, if you forage behind the rugby league ball, there's actually some um, cans of brine lurking there behind that structure. And herpes. So, yeah, that's Which so... of these bottles has herpes in it? Well, that's much the all surprise. So um, I've, I've been in, uh, in, in Mike Benny's office for about 20 minutes now. He served us an incredible menu of, uh, of what are we drinking? Some rosé from where? Matassa from southern France. And, uh, and a, uh, a, a plethora of, um, of canned seafood that you got from Continental. Oh, dude, they're, they're um, you know, a, a, a wonderful addition to this, this neighborhood. Great snacks. Fucking yeah. earth they are. And good people. And, uh, you know, the place has got a pulse and it's nice. I like as well talking about wine culture in the neighborhood that uh, they kind of have that old school bistro feel where they don't actually list what the producer is on their, on their by the glass menu. They just have Chardonnay, Pinot Noir. Red wine, white wine, rosé, sparkling. And I kind of, you know, when you go to Europe and you sit in a piazza in Italy or something and you get a carafe and a chilled glass and you have kind of the most bucolic and best moment of your travels, it's always around something you don't really know what the fuck it is. I fucking love a carafe and a piazza. Yeah. <laughs> I want to call, I want to call my, my, my house carafe and piazza. <laughs> if I ever had an Italian restaurant. Everyone restaurant. know you've got two children. One's yeah. called carafe, the other's called piazza. <laughs> That's right. I'd, I'd really like to name a restaurant Carafe and Piazza. It's great. It's the t- two of wrong. greatest. Yeah, perfect. And neon. It's, anyway. It's craft pizza. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's definitely a name for your balls. <laughs> Carafe and Piazza. Mike's back, everyone. <laughs> Thanks, I'm out now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess I wanted to uh, begin the discussion 
of uh, I don't know what are we going to talk about each month. Well, wine drinks, you know, where the contemporary world of things that have been fermented or distilled are here in the very vibrant city of Sydney. That's beyond that as well. Um, it's it's interesting often to kind of put put Sydney in context for for wine and drinking. I've just come back from Seattle and San Francisco a week and a half ago, and you know we're so often guilty of aping other culture or appropriating um, you know elements of food and wine culture from other places. But coming back, I, I always feel very reassured and excited about what I see going on in Sydney. And you know, having a look around those two very vibrant cities and, and looking at um, particularly wine bars in Seattle I mean there's a lot of them but there's only two that I really want to drink in and when I think about how privileged we are in in this town to have such a wealth of exciting independent individual venues and there was a kind of sameness to what I saw in Seattle Uh, and then San Francisco has a you know a wonderful heartbeat and a pulse very different obviously but but again I, I it's a safe environment and people do safe things very well and over a long period of time but um, I guess the uh, the context is that Sydney has you know a wondrous thing going on with people who are clever and righteous about their drinking, and so this hopefully is a monthly discussion about those sorts of things. Definitely, and every every month I'm going to be bringing to the table a new found ignorance for something that I like and don't know anything about. So look forward to hating me more than you do every other week on the Mitchin. I love it. That's good. <laughs> Um, let's start off with my uh, misadventures in sour beer. Oh, well, there you go. Because I, I, I uh, as regular listeners will know, that I'm, I'm, I'm someone who does not understand the appeal of craft beer. And I'm one of those awful people that keeps complaining about it. Yeah. Um, actually, you know, I've, I've, I don't really complain about it. I just, I, I've accepted. It's not for me. I'll shut up about it. You're definitely amongst good company at this table. Okay, <clears throat> and I wouldn't put sour beer into the craft beer. No, but I really, really enjoy sour, sour beer. And so I was at that... And I, so far, all I really know of it beyond like, you know, I, w- I was at, uh, what's Banjo's joint in Melbourne? Bar Liberty. Bar Liberty. Such a good spot. Mm. Banjo is such a legend. It's, it's such, such a shame that Banjo's in it though. <laughs> I mean, it's got like all the DNA of one of the best places on earth, except it's got fucking Banjo it's in lovely. it. lovely. You take that back right now. Wow. Uh, you know, you've got the, you know. I didn't come here to forage bad opinions about in, a wonderful person. In, in Manu and Casey, you have the kind of Jake and Kenny of Mary's of the South, you know, and then you've got Michael at the front who ran around and you know, ably assisted Banjo while he was doing his hair at Attica. And then you've got Banjo there and he, God, you know, what a pollutant on the environment there. Bible Liberty, great place. Go visit it. Um, but he, I, I, he, he uh, I, I love the best thing about, about Bar Liberty is when you start, you, he, he brings that incredible, like, it's like a globe, yeah. a big globe and then opens it up and inside it are like on, on ice, three bottles that he suggests you have a, a drink to start from. Yeah, that's cool. And within it, you have like a sparkling, a sparkling rosé and then a sour beer. Yeah. And the people I went with were like, can we have like one of each? Mm. And uh, so I, that was a recent, really good one and a reminder that I really like sour beer. And then of course, um, the, the main drink that they have at Automata is the, um, what's Timmy's, uh, it's the really, really super, Rodenbach. Rodenbach, yeah, in the cans. Which is great, super yeah. drinkable, incredible. So I went to, uh, what's the name of, it's like the Oak Barrel or something like that. Yeah, the, the Oak Barrel. The Oak yeah. Barrel, I went there. The and beer I, festival. And, um, the, it's like, yeah, the, little, the, the, you know, boutique wine and, and cellar joint in, mm. uh, in Darlinghurst. And uh, I asked... I was like, hey, what sour beers do you have here? Just wondering if they had anything. I wanted to have something nice that night. And I may have gone a little crazy and spent $80 on a bunch of beers. I would say I bought maybe 10 different beers. Can I tell you that the last time I went, I was doing research for a sour beer story that I was writing. Mm-hmm. Your $80, I can trump that with. I went and spent $970. <laughs> and I came home and kind of went, 
what the fuck did I just do? And I just finished, this is about a year and a half ago, and I just finished off the last bottle of wow. this incredible stash. Yeah. But there was a guy there called Liam Pereira who is working, I think, with Time Out magazine actually now. And he, he, he ran Camperdown Cellars, uh, the beer section basically. And he is a brilliant, brilliant beer guy. And he really, besides putting aside stashes of really interesting beers for me, he really changed the way I thought about beer more than anybody else has, um, even despite the fact that I hang around a lot of brewers because I want to understand the culture of, of brewing. And I, I go up to Young Henry's, which is three blocks from my house here, and um, I go up there to learn brewing from those guys because they do quite a broad spectrum of different brewing styles. Um, but it was Liam who really changed everything, besides you know, damaging my bank account like that. <laughs> <laughs> he he did, a, did a wondrous job of kind of putting me on a, a more, more kind of interesting path with, with beer, even though I'm definitely not a fancier of... High hop beers. Well, so one of them was absolutely, it was like a Chardonnay style sour beer mm. made with Chardonnay grapes, but it was a pale ale. Yeah. And so I did not like that at all. It was a tall boy. It was very hard to get through. Yeah. Um, I really, really loved one that was called like sour grapes. And yeah. it was kind of like, had the sourness of grapes, but also tasted a bit like Welch's grape drink, yeah. which I'm a big fan of. And then the most appealing six pack that I got was a six pack of watermelon mm. sour beer. Yeah. And that was awful. Right. Like, was that the watermelon one from WA? From no, no, I think it was. I'm pretty sure it's, it, it was an American American gotcha. beer. Yeah, <clears throat> but it was like a very, very. It almost tasted like VB with lemon in it, like a lot of lemon juice in it. Mm. Yeah, I think that's one of the interesting th- things about beer that wine doesn't have. I mean, wine is on Central Station Platform One, and there's 30 other trains you can get on 30 different platforms, right? Mm-hmm. Beer has decided to build 10 extra platforms at Central Station, and there's, you know, three more a in light the works. Rail. Yeah, and a light rail and a monorail. You know, like beer has this wondrous ability to just say this was the rule book, and we just don't care. Um, with wine, you ferment grapes, and it's a pretty linear passage to a bottle. You can do a number of things, obviously, to trick it up or you know be transparent. But one of the things I like about beer, and I just I was just um, talking about the future of wine lists with a, a mentor and colleague, Hugh and Hook, last week, and we were talking about you know wine particularly. But I said you know beer is a very large part of where you know wine culture is going, particularly on matching drinks matching for degustation menus. And the beer that I was showing was uh, an Italian beer that used five different types of grain, had nine different spices in it, including five different types of pepper. I mean, think about putting that into a wine, you know, people would lose their shit, (laughs) but you do it with beer and everyone's like, that's interesting. I really like that about beer and and, and particularly that it's, it's culturally really well accepted that you can put fruit in beer you can put other bits and pieces in beer that are, that are, you know, going to enhance or detract depending on your palate. But um, I think beer has a sense of adventure, and that goes right down to the aesthetic of beer bottles. I mean, they look cool. They look like something you want to pick up off a shelf. Do you think one of the, like the follies with the the smaller like brewers of beer is due to the fact that it's a, a slightly cheaper <clears throat> exercise to set up? So as opposed to winemaking, where you've got to have a vineyard or buy in large quantities of grapes, and there's that time factor. Beer is quite a cheap thing to comparatively to start if you're going to make a small you know micro brewery of beer you don't have you don't have that outlay so you can get a bit more experimental so there's going to be more fucktards in the world doing stupid things but then you're also going to get the super creatives that come in with something really 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 clever yeah absolutely i mean there is a couple of factors that define beers uh, appeal one is there's not a codified language that you know you need to learn something like Esperanto to kind of understand wine I mean it's a complex lofty language that makes not much sense to people and alienates people with beer you chug this shit down I yeah. mean you know it's drinkability is highly prized um, 
Secondly, beer, the process can be done, you know, it doesn't have to be once a year. It's, a, it's something you can do regularly or all the time. Um, and you can do it at home. I mean, part of the part of the great rise and rise of food culture in Australia has been, of course, you know, we have to kowtow to the, uh, the master chef phenomenon in taking food into people's homes and making them feel like they're competent enough to do something interesting with produce or to understand produce more deeply. And beer is kind of the booze world's equivalent where you can do it at home, you can do it to a taste that's appealing to you, you can push the boundaries a little bit if you feel like it. Um, you know, clubs are mostly made up of, of uh, you know, bearded IT workers who talk about IBU, international barfing units, <laughs> or they call it bittering units, but anyway. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a great leveler. It's not for, you know, wine is such an elite pursuit in many respects. When do you think they're going to do a three-month-long beer brewing challenge on MasterChef? Yeah, look, I've always wondered why there's not more drinks on that show. And, you know, God damn it, I would like to be front and center there. I'll tell you what. No pants? So with what Trackies. So with, with how you just described that movement in the beer world, can you see that taking a place in wine culture? And do we need it? I think there is already a small inroads into the wine world for people who are interested in doing it themselves. I think what we're seeing is um, a diverse range of people now entering into wine who are kind of eking out a couple of tons of fruit from various often quite affordable sources um and in parentheses i would add sometimes the fruit quality is not particularly good which then fruit quality should be paramount in all wine um not particularly great wines but at least interesting wines so uh, you're seeing more people kind of finding appeal in making wine because um there's a romance to it uh, there's a small culture of cool surrounding it at the moment, particularly. And I think that um, the immediacy of commentary on, on wine by posting pictures on the internet of bottles and writing boom and putting a thumbs up emoji <laughs> underneath it is kind of, you know, ably assisting people's greater interest in wine, ironically enough. Um, but all of that is creating a small groundswell of people who are getting into wine. But I, I do think that, that beer has a pop culture feel to it that has... It in spades over wine at the moment. And that exploration in um, <clears throat> flavorings, can you see that making its way into wine or is that just going to be well, too weird? It, no, I mean, look, it is, but in, in cheap, fun-loving wine, you know, the kind of gateway drug for Bacardi Breezer drinker sort of style wine. So you get things like, I think it's called Lindemann's Cool Harvest or something, and you get like Sauvignon Blanc with um, passion fruit flavor or, or something similar. It's happening. Um can you but, see it going past that popcorn, like that weird, you know, like without the, the negativity of like the cheap, nasty, you know, Lindemann style wine? Can you see it moving to real producers who, who see an avenue to express themselves? They're not yet, but there are some people I think who probably have it in their minds to give it a go. The only issue is, is if you take enough volume of wine... Um, and then put something like fruit in it, which could do all kinds of weird things in terms of um, spoiling the, the wine itself and make it undrinkable um, because there's not enough literature or, you know, although people like to not like science when they're talking about wine, there is obviously biological, biochemistry things going on in wine. Um, I think people are not confident enough to put fruit into wine, into interesting wines okay. yet. There are, there are obviously examples. I mean, there's fruit wines being made all over the world. There always has been. Um, 
but people kind of fusing wine with other things hasn't quite happened, except for I have seen a Garana wine and I have seen a wine that has uh, some element of weed in it as well. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be pretty good. Like take yourself up at a, you know, at a nightclub and then take yourself right down in the chill out zone. <laughs> it's got both applications. So, go, go, oh, no, I was just going to make a weed joke. I, I, you're a much better interviewer than I am because I just ask questions in the hope that it will set up a bad joke. Whereas you actually ask questions that will aid the world. I'll add a fart gag in there somewhere soon. So, Mikey, tell us about what's good in the sour beer world. Because we just discussed some of the weird watermelon, and which was what? Yeah, and I should point out that the one I was talking about, the the watermelon beer, maybe maybe it's your thing. If the idea of VB with lemon juice is appealing to you, <laughs> Briny Melon Goes, G-O-S-E. Yeah. And I should have, I, really, I just realized, looking at this can now, it's made by Anderson Valley. I'm sure they're great people somewhere in Boonville, California. But the, the front label of the beer can has a um, a bear with antlers. The fuck's that about? Anyway, Mike Benny, what are some good good sour? Yeah, run us through what's <laughs> happening in good in the sour, sour beer. Well, well those that we can get access to because there are a lot that are really hard, hard to, to get, find. So. Yeah, look, it's a, it's a really interesting thing because, um, and this does mirror the wine world quite succinctly. But a lot of brewers are a bit concerned about the very. Um, free-flowing technique of producing a sour beer yeah can i before we got can you tell everyone what sour beer is how it varies great yeah. question every man yeah look i mean sour beer is uh beers that sit in either the gertz or lambic family of beers or is a beer that has been added something to to create a souring does it have its roots in belgium yeah it definitely has its roots in belgium and it's it's if you are going to go to the mecca of beer if you're a beer geek then you go to Cantillon brewery in brussels yeah, don't talk about the ones we can't get yeah well that's it i mean that's like a pokemon or something it's just like you can't find them thanks for putting in my language mike <laughs> yeah sorry everybody i had to translate yeah. back into levens levens speak but it, i mean that's it's an, an amazing place it's uh it's a you know you, you go in through the the immigrant area in brussels on the outskirts of brussels and and uh, you know it's full of wonderful um turkish and, and lebanese you know hole-in-the-wall restaurants and and it's you know it's a bit of a downtrodden area but there's this you know generational family that's been brewing beer in this cavernous space that's sort of feels like it's almost built into a, an underground facility but it's not it's actually a big old warehouse and you push open these towering wooden doors to get into this place which is just bustling with with human beings running around you know trying to get their their geek on uh but these beers are extraordinary i mean they're literally the world's best beers uh, am i wrong i might be i'm probably i'm usually wrong do they have like an allocation day where people line up for hours and then it's like a full-on like like a boxing day sale where people yep. run in and yep. just grab it and then it's it's gone yeah that's it, it until the they next have they have a party day where they basically yeah. throw open the doors um to their two sellers now they've got a second seller and they actually the way, they're, the way they're produced is they're naturally fermented and they're fermented during a season where it's optimal to brew beer and they're only brewed once a year, kind of like wine. And indeed, the family refers to the wines as grain... The family refers to the beers as grain wines. Yeah, right. So they're made from grain, obviously, um, and fermented naturally. And then the, the souring process effectively occurs in barrel with some ulaging in the barrel. Uh, when they went and got their new cellar, which was actually donated to them by the city of Brussels, because they're such a significant landmark, and it's uh, they were donated a, a cellar. They went in there and they sprayed, um, they, they they basically cultured yeast from their existing cellar and then sprayed it all through the new cellar so they could have the same yeast culture Fuck. working. That's so sick. Yeah, it's really cool. There's like <clears throat> beer nerds, like in, for lack of a better word, that have appreciated what these guys have been doing for you know years and years and years, and now really kind of angry because this has become a real hipster piss so now there's a massive push on because all these people that 
you know, kind of see these. They're, they're great wines. Like wines, we, I say wines, but they're great beers. But now the guys that have always loved them, they're now being kind of pushed aside a little bit by this. It's got, it's got a massive following in the, the, in the beer world. And they're interesting as well because they're not just straight beers. I mean, over three quarters of the beers they produce are produced with fruit in them. So they get organic or biodynamic fruit from the same sources most years. And over 20% of the beer is generally fermented juice from that fruit. So you'd have right. cherries or blueberries or... And this is maybe a stupid question, but was there ever a, a chance of them not being called beers and instead being called... Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Sour wines, or is it just way too close to a beer? Yeah, I mean, yeah, alcohol percentage, um, the process of brewing rather than kind of. I mean, look, it's, it's a similar sort of thing in terms of the fermentation process. It really is very similar. <clears throat> the wine hierarchy would never allow it. Is that, is that right, Mike? Well, they would just never. They are you just... in the wine Illuminati? No, no, no. He's I'm in the Vanderbilt group yeah. of wine. He's the underground. He's <laughs> With the... George Bush. <laughs> he's Where like else? V for Vendetta Bloomberg. for those guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, anonymous. It is an interesting. That's it's an interesting question. It sort of it, bo- it, <laughs> it it boils my brain a bit to try and think what it should be called. But that's why they kind of stick to Gertz and Lambic. Which is why there's a little piss take in that G O S E on the front there of your beer can that you enjoyed the watermelon one so much. I really thought that was going to be sick. Doesn't it look sick? Listeners, no. listeners, everyone listening right now, doesn't this look great? Spell, it looks like they spelled goose wrong and then they put a <laughs> fucking moose on their fucking thing. So it's no, like, it's, a, it's a bear with antlers. Goosey moosey. Yeah. <laughs> um, what are some some sour beers that we should be looking for? Yeah, that was the pinnacle. Let's now talk about the realistic In ones. Australia. Yeah. Well, look, my go-to <laughs> is the uh, Tim Watkin Automata Special of Rodenbach in yeah. can because you can get a six-pack of cans and how ble- I remember when I first got to, to Brussels on this trip that I um, went on to you know check out the breweries in, in Belgium um, and I went to a you know a bodega style you know tiny little hole in the wall 7-Eleven thing that served both fries more frit and cans of beer out of it not quite but it had cans of beer through it and there I was you know cracked a can of Rodenbach and walked down this main, main drag of, of Brussels um, what kind of pants were you wearing? 
I was wearing tracksuit pants, yes. but very they, loose when fitting. Did they, yeah, when did they come off? How many cans in? Uh, three. <laughs> <laughs> That's overseas. They're international makers. Yeah, the international. Yeah. So Roadback's a good start. Um, and, and that was why the, the I was drawn to the fact that there was a six pack of this watermelon beer because I thought oh, Roadback is a well, it's yeah. a four pack of cans, but uh, yeah, they uh, I don't know. I, I love I love a six pack of tinnies. It's just it's it's such a great way to drink. Who doesn't? Mm. Really. Locally, though, um, there, as I said, there's, there's a, because the craft brewing scene is effectively in its you know teenage years, let's call it. Uh, there are some brewers who've been around for a long time who are obviously very competent, but have been making beers in the relatively safe zone of beers that fit comfortably into a commercial, successful, you know, business strata. And trying to sell sour beers has always been something that's uh, you know really on the fringe, and also has uh, given people concern who brew because they're worried that it might taint the brews that they're making that are more commercially viable. So you've got some people who have sour beer sellers. So you've got people like um, uh, Ashley Ratcliffe, who's down in Tasmania from Two Meter Tall. And he's got that great story of when he first brewed his first beer some eight years ago, and it was a sour beer. He was a winemaker, so he just made his beer like wine. And... When it first went to the market, and I was guilty of this as well. There's a wonderful place called Davies Grand Central, which is a, a, a gas station and in Tasmania, and it's got one of these really rare 24-hour licenses to sell booze. And really, yeah, it must of, be nice. It's so weird, right? And it only sells Tasmanian products. So you can go in there and get amazing Tasmanian produce from a service station. And you get Tasmanian wine and Tasmanian beer. And Has- hashtag keep Hobart open. That's right. Yeah. Um, even even if it is in Launceston, but that's okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, that's, that's too long of a hashtag. Yeah. It would, it would, Twitter wouldn't allow it. Uh, but I, I remember, you know, eight years ago, picking up some of these beers and going, God, I, and I was guilty of it. I said, these are fucking awful. You know, they're sour, bitter. They taste like balsamic vinegar. Eight years later, he's re-released that first batch of something called the Seven Year Itch, and it's a profound beer. I mean, wow. it's fascinating, and wonderful, and he's got a, a you know a great culture of of sour beer going on in and- his. Has it developed in that time or has your palate just changed? I think my palate's just changed. Right. Yeah. I mean, That's the, wild. The beer has developed, sure. obviously, because the passage of time has had its impact. But definitely, I, I mean, I think my palate's changed. My palate changes regularly, if not seasonally. Yeah. People's I mean, palates are led by their, their brains. And if you open up your, your mind and you get taught by people, mm. you teach your palate to appreciate it. Yeah, things. definitely. It's definitely it's, mental it's, more than It's physical, 100% isn't it? comes from what you've learned. Yeah. And anyone who's worked with Mike... Will like their palate, yourself, right? No, I'm talking about Mike Benny, the person with skill. <laughs> their palate will come away with a better appreciation for all things because you, it's about how you see things, about how you appreciate and how you absorb things. Like your your tongue is your palate is just there as a you know just receiver. It's how your mind takes that information on. It's definitely about yeah. open, open mind. You've like hit the nail on the head. I mean, you you just have to suspend what you know about a certain thing and say to yourself, I need to learn something that's going to broaden my horizons yeah I mean like, and whether you like it or not I mean yeah. for example Australian uni and I often use this example is <laughs> by and large pretty shit like, I, don't, I don't want to be, you know there's some extraordinary examples but when you that's taste that's a hot food fact that hasn't been brought up on the podcast before really yeah, yeah. I think because Mitch loves it oh so. shit yeah look I mean but, it, but you know when you taste great uni you know it's great right because it's got a sensation and texture that really resonates with you but by and large in Australia, it's not great. But what I'm trying to get at is that it's quite an extraordinary flavor and texture and sensation in terms of consumption of it. It's not something that you kind of go, 
Right's going to be my staples. I mean, some people. Probably Dan Hong. You know, he has it on his Fruit Loops and breakfast. <laughs> but They are his Fruit Loops. Yeah. Just rolls uni. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but you've got to... At some point, you realize that that's a really good thing when it's really good. And it's the same with expanding your horizons with wine and drinks. It just... You need to get out of the bandwidth you're in. As I said, platform one, you're on it. You know where the train's going. It's a North Shore line. You're comfortable with it. But you want to, you know, you, there's there's 30 more platforms to step onto and take a journey on. And that's yeah, how... Stop going to Gordon. Man, it's Kalara that does me in. Oh, look, honestly, like, depending on how you were raised in the last 30, 40 years, the whole of the society's, like, cuisine across the board from drinks to everything was going towards that agribusiness. So it was all mass-produced. Small-time restaurants were... Downsizing, there was a lot more franchising of everything. Like Woolworths and Coles became a huge thing, so people's palates have really kind of taken a, an easy road through their life. And mm. it's only in my lifetime, in the last ten years, that there's been really great, genuine movements across the board in organic cheeses, breads, and wines and beers, etc. And so your palate's not used to it. Like mass-produced things and like things that appeal to the masses. Like if you think about Cocoa Pops or McDonald's, or yeah, they're all. Well, I think the easiest, the easiest thing to, to, to compare it to is um, when you eat dark chocolate instead of milk chocolate. Yeah, they're they're made for mass consumerism. They're they're made to not confront your palate. So when you have real produce, it confronts your palate. It's not because it doesn't taste good. It's because your palate's not used to having a flavor. Like everything's sweet. So, you know, when you have something that's not, it's really confronting the first time. And if your mind's not open to that you instantly think, well, that doesn't taste good because you're brought up, you know, in a society where up until a few years ago, people just accepted that. Going to have to interrupt you there quickly. We've just been joined by another guest. Uh, excuse me, sir. Who the fuck are you? <laughs> I'm Tom. Do I need to press a button on this thing? No. <laughs> no, you're fine. You're fine. It's, Come on. it's Screech from just Save tell the Bell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Tom from Jedwine, so I'm all things Argentinian wine, basically. Do you often get random guests like this in your in your little wine parlor? This is the currency of my life. It is rich uh, in human spirit, and I don't even know who he is. So, Tim, Tim, why are you here? Tom, even Tom. Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Ted, Ted, what are you doing? Yeah. Let's just call him Jed. <laughs> I, get, I get Jed a lot, or Ted. Yeah. Actually, it'd be a lot easier for me if you were a mic. To be honest. Yeah, it really would be. Mike. Color mics. Oh, uh, right. Not for the listeners. <laughs> no, that's not sure. Tom, why are you what, here? What are you showing off today from? Um, so I've just got a bag full of Argentinian wines from all... Mike uh, loves bags. <laughs> I'm in I'm 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 South a, America. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm, a, I'm, I'm more a Balenciaga guy. <laughs> changed. Um, so, yeah, all, all different kinds of altitudes um, from across Argentina, Patagonia to uh, Mendoza to Salta, so... Yeah, having a look at it with Mike. I think yeah. the, the tasting's going to be called Get High, I think. Oh, shit. <laughs> what about wines with altitude? <laughs> that? What? That's crazy. Yeah. WWA. I've got to say, though, I mean, and, and Tom is more worldly in visiting Argentina. I've been. It's Tim. Tim. <laughs> Ted, Ted Thanks, is ladies. very well versed in, in, <laughs> in wines from. Where is it from again? <laughs> no, Argentina. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Austria. Austria. <laughs> And uh, they, um, it, one of the things that uh, I just had this chat with an Uber guy actually about Argentina, and I said it's amazing. You get there the first day, you just you know slosh in a big glass of Malbec and scarlet, and then have a second one, and then they bring out a steak. You know, everyone's got a barbecue at their place, and they you know force you into eating charred meat. 
And the kind of the first day there, you're like, far out, this is like the best thing on earth. It's just, you know, luscious red wine, beautiful chari meat. And then the next day you wake up and you're like, all right, what's for lunch? And it's like, there it is again. It's a barbecue. Yeah. <laughs> and you go to dinner and you're like, hang on, meat. <laughs> and then you get the third day and you're like, okay, I'll just switch in some empanadas in here. And then you have some more meat and you have some more empanadas and meat. And then by about day seven, you're like, where the fuck is a salad? Why, why haven't I pooed yet? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. exactly. This is all coming home with me. Yeah. <laughs> so Tom in amongst the Jed. Tim. Tim, Tom, Jed, <laughs> Todd. In amongst all the uh, wines, have you got any beers? Because we were talking about sour beers. Do you guys do beer at all? Um, uh, we did. We have bought in a couple, but Argentina's mostly like commercial kind of South American beers, smashable. What's beers. the name yeah. of the, what's the female name beer that's over there? That's really like the the kind of house the VB of Argentina. Um, uh, and it's, it's Victoria. Got a, it's got a woman's name. Um, it's, it's what's it called? I don't know. I don't know. I stumped you. That's shit. Not Kilmes. Like no, 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 no. Not Kilmes. Um, I don't know so dad, Write don't in know. Let us know The Mitch and Podcast At gmail.com <laughs> <laughs> But no The, the whole craft beer Best scene chat there, ever <laughs> They do have a big craft They got those beers Over there It's <laughs> named after a lady <laughs> I will find out uh, But they do They have a craft scene Over there But I, I tried a, a Is it mostly IT workers With bad beards um, Mate the, All the all the craft beers I've had With IBS beer. That was the, that was the, uh, the I, Three I, letters I, right IBU Do they have IT <laughs> I, I think it's pretty sure It's IBS Yeah <laughs> Um, so what have you brought for Mike today? Um, so it's all Malbec. Um, oh, I don't drew Malbec. <laughs> <laughs> Get out! <laughs> um, but we've, uh, the wine of note is a wine from the highest vineyard in the world, um, which is pretty cool. Three thousand one hundred meters above sea level, and they produce Coke. They do. Everyone chews um, the coca leaf up there. Like, All right, so there was some some fact in what I just said. Yeah. <laughs> that never happens. You weren't wrong. Yeah, yeah. That's Lev's first fact, just for <laughs> everyone out there keeping score. Yeah, we're 50 episodes in, finally did it. <laughs> um, should we do an experiment? Should we drink these wines live on the podcast, Mike? Yeah, I think so, and I'd like to hear about them because okay. um, Screech here has a wonderful <laughs> cadence to his voice. Tim. Helps. Tim has a wonderful cadence to his voice that helps you enjoy Malbec. Um, should we, do you want to try, pick out a couple maybe to taste now? Well, we should uh, look at the column A ones, yeah? Let's do it. The, those three wines. Yeah. You've, brought uh, a, you've brought a caddy with you today? Ben? I have. <laughs> Bob, that's Bob over there. Thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> do you think Malbec goes on top of this sake, okay? Um, that's sort of a nice segue. I, I, because I don't, I don't want to wash any glasses, so no, let's just yeah. assume it does. Yeah. yeah. I think it should blast. You know they say like, you know, beers and cones and you're on your own? It's kind of like sake and Malbec. <laughs> I thought yeah. it was beer then grass, you're on your ass. Grass yeah. then beer, you're in the, the clear. clear. That's yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, that's another Levin's fact on the Mitchum podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Malbec then sake, yeah. crikey malarkey. <laughs> sake then Malbec. Shit out. All right, great rhyme. Face down on the deck. <laughs> so Tom is uh, unearthing a bevy of wines. How many did you bring up? Um, nine and three bottles of Coopers as well. And so, fuck, where are they? In here. What a rare treat from Argentina. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knew. <laughs> um, so little little one hundred and one on Colomé. Yeah. Um, so the, we're going to taste three wines from Bodega Colomé. Um, it's the oldest winery in Argentina, and it's certified BD. It's owned by a Swiss uh, Swiss guy called Donald Hess, who owns wineries around the world. And he just fell in love with the place, um, wanted to 
uh, bought the winery and has been working on this high altitude project for 10 years and so it's an amazing thing i mean going to so to just chime in here but mm. for me what was most striking about that high altitude concept of argentina is i mean you're sitting at you know 3000 feet when you well, 1000 meters effectively when you get onto the plane and you drive through the it's a desert i mean mm. it's an alpine desert right and then there they are, the edge of the roadway, bang, the Andes. I mean, it's such a striking it vision yeah. where they grow great. And it's, you know, sparse, then vineyard, then sparse. And it's, it's, it's such an incredibly strange and beautiful, in a weird way, place. It is. Like, sometimes you do feel like you're on the set of Star Wars or something like that. Like, it's, it's so dry and it's such a strange place to be making, to be making wine. But So, um, Tim Tom, why Argentinian wines? Were you are you Argentinian family or is it just mm. curiosity? What, what what's the where did this come from? Um, just sort of fell in love with uh, the region. I fell in love with the wines first. Saw them in the states, and uh, no one was doing much with them over here. There were a few guys bringing some in, and me and two buddies um, had studied wine making. We just saw the opportunity to go over there and and have a play, and we've been doing it for nearly ten years. Oh, that sounds good, doesn't it? <laughs> That's just me taking a piss. <laughs> 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 so what's this first one we're about to drink? Um, so this is uh, Colomé Estate, um, which that is... That doesn't sound very Argentine. Yeah, oh, well, they probably don't Swiss. say Col- Colomé. Uh, yeah. It's a... Uh, yeah, Bodega Colomé, so... Yeah, I think so. We're going to drink something from Colin B next, right? That's right. <laughs> Zing! <laughs> uh, back to normal evidence. <laughs> um, I'm not drunk. <laughs> um, that's all good, I'll drink it. Um, don't tip um, so, yeah, high altitude, you're close to the sun, um, you get more UV light, um, the, th- the grapes respond by growing thicker skins, so you get more intensity of flavour and, and aromatics. Um, and here you're actually in the Andes, so Mendoza is sort of at the e- edge of the Andes, whereas this Salta region in, in northern Argentina, you're actually in the mountains. Um, so, you know, snow-capped peaks kind of all around. This place is crazy. It's like a three-hour drive through nothing to get there. You can only get there by road six months of the year. I mean, yeah, Salta's a like a, a weird, strange. It is, yeah, unusual place. It is the main town's like a one-square town, all Spanish um, kind of colonial architecture. You kind of half expect to see tumbleweeds kind of drifting through the main square. It's it's, it's a weird place. There is that sort of um, unusual dichotomy between. Uh, people of wealth and, and the kind of the winery is almost uh, you know a testimony to kind of status in some respects you feel in, in Mendoza and then you know village life mm. and sometimes to me one of the most striking things was kind of seeing that you know almost where people living side by side and there's some extraordinary architecture the, the, that place mm. Ophunia yeah and it looks like a, a James Bond villain's house or lair whatever you want to call it definitely and the guy who owns it had two fantasies about the architecture allegedly and one of them was that he wanted the winery to feature in a James Bond film evidently but his, <laughs> his second fantasy was no joke that he wanted it to also feature in a Playboy porno movie <laughs> and so he had this kind of vision of <laughs> this wasn't dual, you, dual vision you didn't specifically Playboy high so, class so high class softcore porn <laughs> yeah 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 you know good kind of slap bass soundtrack yeah <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, moaning, dubbed. <laughs> like I moaned for this wine. This wasn't, wasn't you that built this winery, was it? No. I just made this all up. 
Ophonia does exist. Um, yeah, but it's true. Like, there's a lot of these ego projects, and Donald Hess. I mean, um, you know, he's he's a billionaire, and he, there, you know, you could say there's a bit of Donald, a bit of Doctor Evil about him. You know, mm. welcome to my underground lair. <laughs> but uh, it's really cool to see. Like, I think that they do look after the little guys there. Like, mm. they have you know, maximum vineyard size, so everyone has to work with little growers to get their fruit. Um, and and Hess, like, when he bought the place, the first thing he did was build, like, a new church and a new school. And 500 people live on the estate, like... That's the other thing that struck me, was that a lot of the uh, families who own wineries then have their... Almost like a little village on their property, usually on the fringe of the vineyard where the workers live, and they kind of maintain a, mm. a livelihood and also a, a kind of living standard for these people who work with them as well. Yeah, and, gener- and generational as well, which is really interesting. Too. It is. It's amazing. So there's very intimate relationship between growers and and the wineries, but also like columns like that. It's there's like a, a hamlet, like yeah, 500 people live there. Wow. And I think less than half of them work in the winery, but they just happen to live on the place. And by being called estate in this one, is it actually from an estate or is it just... Um, it's all from their vineyard. So most, this, this one used to be from all 2,400 metres, but now it's from three different vineyards. Um, so, I don't know, it's a bit of a big grey area. And all biodynamically farmed. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, uh, like Levens' hair is. <laughs> you can tell. It's Advanced hair. Yeah. Biodynamic oh, yeah. hair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what do you think of the wine, Mike? Um, it's very easy to drink. It's, it's my very, terrible It's review. very easy to drink. I mean, you know, most red wines are gross. Um, <laughs> you know, you don't want to really drink red wine. It's kind of gross. But you can anyway, only drink three glasses tops. Yeah. But this has good intensity of flavor. I uh, say good intentions. Good intentions. This wine's got good intentions. <laughs> I, I like how it smells. It smells friendly. You know, it's something that kind of stick to your beak and you go, hey, you know, come on in. The water's fine. <laughs> so, Mike, what are you going to get from this wine at Argentinian climate, Argentinian altitudes that you don't get from, say, French French reds and it's similar it, type? What I, if I was blind tasting wine and asked to kind of identify the Argentinian wine out of a lineup that had French and Australian wines in it, what I always find with Mendoza particularly is there's great intensity of flavor, concentration of flavor, but also a freshness. And that's this really weird thing you don't really get anywhere else unless you have altitude, cool climate, growing conditions, and this like, brilliant sunlight. I mean, you, you got, you, when, you're, when you're there, you're startled by sunlight. I mean, it's big sky country. You know, you, ca- you can't hide anywhere. There's, no, there's not really trees. I mean, it's scree, yeah. it's scree and desert where they grow this. Uh, and fascinatingly enough, a lot of it is technically unirrigated, but they have you know, generational families who've channeled out irrigation paths from the mountains to then flood vineyards and then... Uh, take away the floodwaters and it's, it's it's sort of ancient but modern and anyway to answer the actual question <laughs> intensity of flavor but freshness yeah it's it's this like really bright natural acidity that comes about with um unmeddled with wines from a cool place with lots of sunshine intensity of flavor and freshness that's exactly how i describe every episode that features mike benny of the mission which is a podcast you're listening to right now thanks so much for listening uh and uh, i think we're gonna we're gonna wrap it off here i reckon yeah, let's get on at the bucket bongs. Yeah. <laughs> I reckon we should call these episodes The Mitchin Cellar. Pretty good. Oh, yeah. Because it was wine. I don't know yeah. if you got that 
That's why. Oh, I thought you meant S E L L E. Like we're selling. Like you're something. selling the Mitchin. Yeah. yeah, that's good too. Um, Mike Benny, if we want to find you online, where do we go? Uh, at Mycarism one zero one, or you can find me in Delicious Magazine, Gourmet Travel Wine Magazine, Sunday Style Magazine, blah, blah, blah. and on Facebook. And Mike Playboy. Benny, wine boy. Mike Benny dot wine. Mike Eggett. I'm retired. At Pinburn on Instagram. He's retired. But uh, check it out if you want to see him just playing golf every weekend. Yeah. Looking at cars. That's it. That kind of thing. I'm actually living in the bush, so I'm off, I'm off, I'm off the range. Tom, if anyone listening right now wants to drink some of these Argentinian wines we've been talking about, what is the event that you are doing these at? Um, well, it's actually wine trade only. <laughs> but they are available um, in good restaurants around Australia, I guess. Like the... Seafood tins in front of us here, they are available at Continental. That's right. Easy. Yeah. And how about you online? you online somewhere? Um, available through PortenoStore.com. And about- he is at Ultra Donkey 69. <laughs> Fuck, I love that account. I didn't know that was you guys so good. You can find me online at LevDog, L E V D W G, on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find the Mitchin at Facebook.com slash the Mitchin. Let us know what you would like Mitch, uh, sorry, not Mitch, your fucking Mike, Mitch Benny. <laughs> Let us know what you would like Mike to talk about next. Thanks so much to Tim and uh, Mitch Eggett for coming on tonight. Uh, if you, uh, you want to send us an email, it's the Mitchin Podcast at gmail.com. We will see you again next week for a regular boring food podcast, but in another month for one of those exciting conversations about wine. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. It's the Mission Podcast. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 